Psalm 119. Go to that, that chapter in your Bible. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Now, now don't get nervous. I'm not going to preach the whole chapter. It's 100, 176 verses. It has 22 eight-verse stanzas, one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's a magnificent piece of God-inspired poetry. We're not sure exactly who wrote this wonderful psalm, but we know that the theme of this psalm is the glory of the Word of God and the glory of the God of the Word. Scripture is mentioned in at least 171 of the 176 verses in this chapter. It's a practical thesaurus containing numerous synonyms for the Word of God. These include law. It's used 25 times in this great, great chapter. The Word is used 44 times, judgments 23 times, testimonies 23 times, commandments 22 times, statutes 21 times, precepts 21 times. Now all of these are scattered throughout this great chapter in the Bible, but all of them refer to the Word of God, the Bible that you hold in your hand or you have on your phone or you have on your iPad. So I want to encourage you to take your copy of the Word of God, whether you're watching live stream or whether you're in this room, and follow along with me. Throughout church history, many Christians have been drawn to this psalm. John Calvin preached 22 sermons from Psalm 119, one for each of the 22 stanzas in this great psalm. Thomas Manton, the Puritan pastor, hold on to your seat now, he preached 190 sermons on these 176 verses in this chapter. William Wilberforce, the 19th century statesman in England who led them to outlaw slavery, memorized this entire psalm. So did David Livingstone, the 19th century missionary to Africa. Now, I've chosen one stanza for today. Man, I would love to do what John Calvin did. I would love to preach a series of sermons on each of the 22 eight-verse stanzas that are located in this great chapter of the Bible. But I want us to look today at verses 89 to 96. It's a sermon that I've entitled, The Word of God. The truth I want you to seal in your heart and in your mind is simply this. Stand firm on the Word of God in every season of your life. Now we're just going, I was planning on just using that first part, stand firm on the Word of God. But I got to thinking about it. Standing firm on the Word of God is not just something a 68-year-old needs to do. It's not something that, that a 36-year-old needs to do. It's something that every child, every teenager, every college student, every young adult 
Every middle-aged adult, every senior adult needs to stand firm on the Word of God in every season of your life. I'll tell you, make a difference. I'm going to give you today four compelling reasons why you should saturate your mind and your heart with the Word of God and why you should stand firm on it. Here's reason number one. God's Word is permanent. It's permanent. Look at verse 89. I love this verse. Forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. Hey, that's so important. Let's say it together, okay? Let's say it together. Forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. Now, if one of our young people or one of our college students goes to their respective campuses and boldly proclaims that they believe the Word of God and they stand on the Word of God and they stand on the principles of God's Word, how do you think people would respond to them? I'll tell you, the overwhelming majority of people would not pat them on the back. The overwhelming majority of people would simply say something like this. Well, that's your opinion. I don't believe that. And my opinion is just as valid as your opinion. What's true for you is not true for me. Now, does that argument, does that logic hold any water? That's the question we've got to ask ourselves today. That's the question we're going to address in the parents' conference next Sunday, right here at this church. You, I'm telling you, you need to be here. You need to invite your friends and relatives and families to come to be a part of this conference the belief in absolute truth as opposed to subjective truth seems to be archaic and intolerant in our culture today. Is it right for us to stand boldly and confidently on the truth of God's Word when so many people reject it and so many people want to update it? Here's my, my, my one-word answer, absolutely. And in my notes, I put that in all caps, absolutely. We should stand firm on the Word of God in every season of our lives. Listen, the Bible may not be settled in the White House. The Bible may not be settled in Congress. The Bible may not be settled at the University of Memphis or Ole Miss or Mississippi State. The Bible may not be settled at Carville High School or Houston High School. The Bible might not be settled for some students at Briarcrest and ECS. The Bible may not be settled for some churches and for some denominations in our nation. But let me tell you, dear friend, the Bible, the Word of God, is settled forever in heaven. It's settled, it's done, it's fixed, it's complete. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the Bible says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands 
forever. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which comes, goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. You know what Jesus said about the Word of God? Hey, by the way, do you believe that Jesus believed that the Word of God is forever settled in heaven? You believe that? Well, he said it was. Now, do you believe Jesus? Don't believe me. Believe Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. In Matthew 24, 35, he said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, I don't know about you, but that pretty well settles it for me. I know it's settled in heaven, but that settles it for me on earth when Jesus says that the Word of God will never pass away. But how can we be sure that God's Word is permanent? Well, look in verses 90 and 91 of Psalm 119. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth, and it stands. They stand this day according to your ordinances, for all things are your servants. You can trust the word of God because the God of the word is faithful. The psalmist points to creation to make his case for the reliability and the permanence of the Word of God. God spoke the world into existence. You go back to Genesis chapter 1. By the way, when I get through in the Psalm series, the Sunday after Labor Day weekend, I'm going to start a series of sermons. I'm going to preach verse by verse through Genesis chapter 1 through 11. And we're going to deal with some great foundational truths that every believer needs to understand. And we're going to talk about creation. I don't believe in evolution. I believe in creation. I believe that God, by the power of his word, spoke everything into existence, and he did it out of nothing. He just spoke it into existence. That's the power of the word of the living God. He arranged for the earth to revolve around the sun every year. He arranged for the moon to revolve around the, the earth every month. And you know what? For thousands of years since the first day of creation, since the time that he put the moon and the sun in their specific places, that has never changed. The earth has always revolved around the sun in a year, and the moon has always revolved around the earth in a month. It's been the same. It's never changed. It's like somebody somewhere is holding everything together when everything seems to be wanting to fall apart. i tell you who that one is. It's Jesus. Jesus is holding all of creation together by his word. Now, this pattern God established in the beginning is our logic for believing that the Word of God is permanent. Every, notice what the Bible says 
in, in ch chapter uh, 119, verse, uh, let me find it. Look at verse 91. They stand this day according to your ordinances. Look at this. For all things are your servants. Everything in creation serves God. It serves his purpose. Do you know even the devil serves God and his purpose? Everything serves God and his purpose. I love what H.B. Charles said. He said, there is not a maverick molecule in all of creation. I like that. Wish I'd have thought of that. God's faithfulness in creation is proof that the Word of God is forever settled in heaven and on earth. You can trust the Word of God. You can build your life around the Word of God, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a child, whether you're an, a young adult, a, a middle-aged adult, a senior adult. You can build your whole life around the truth of God's Word because it is permanent. It's not here one day and gone the next. Nobody's going to change it. Nobody's going to update it because it's forever settled in heaven. Amen? So stand firm on the Word of God in every season of your life. Here's the first reason God's Word is permanent. Second reason, God's Word is powerful. Look at verse 92. If your law, now remember, the word law here is a synonym for the Bible, for the word of God. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. And we're getting a glimpse into some of the context that was surrounding the writer of Psalm 119. He was going through some kind of affliction. Now, we're going to discover in a few moments that part of that affliction was that people did not like him. And people came against him because of his stance on the Word of God and on his desire to obey God and serve God and to glorify God. How many of you understand that if you're a born-again believer and you stand on the truth of God's Word, there are going to be people who will not like you. There will be people who will come after you. There will be people who will try to cancel you. Are you prepared for that? Here's what the psalmist said. If your law had not been delighted, it, he, the psalmist said, look, if I had not delighted in your word, what does it mean to delight in the word of God? Well, it means evidently that he spent time reading it. It means that he spent time studying it. It means that he spent time memorizing it. It means that he spent time meditating on the Word of God. Now, listen to me very carefully. That word meditation has some bad vibes in our culture today. I mean, we've been influenced, our culture been influenced by Eastern mysticism. And, and when you mention meditating on the Word of God, I, I'm afraid some of you have the picture in your mind of some old dude climbing a mountain, crossing his leg, putting his fingers like that, and, 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 and having this drone of, mm. 
And you know what they teach? You know what Eastern mysticism teach? It teaches to empty your mind. Now listen to me very carefully. Whether you're a young person, a young adult, whatever, there's nowhere in the Scripture that you're told to empty your mind. You're told to fill your mind with the truth of God's Word. Let me tell you, the danger of an empty mind is that the devil will put junk in your mind that will lead you away from Jesus and cause you a mountain of hurt. So I can just see the, the psalmist. Maybe he's out there with his sheep and, and, over, and over in his mind, he's going over the Word of God. He's rehearsing it in his mind like a cow chewing could because he loves the Word of God. He, he, the Bible says here in Psalm 119 that the psalmist said it's like honey from the honeycomb. It's sweet. It's powerful. It makes a huge difference in one's life. In Psalm 119, verse 67, the Bible talks about this affliction that the psalmist was going through. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You see, even God makes a servant of affliction. And God takes born-again believers who have strayed away from him and have, has introduced affliction into their lives and has brought them to a place of godly sorrow, genuine repentance, and a time of refreshing and renewal because of the power of the word of the living God at work in their heart and their lives. In Psalm 119, 71, the psalmist said, now look, look at this. It is good for me that I was afflicted. How many of you can say that? It is good for me that I was afflicted. You say, well, pastor, how could he say that? Look at, look at the last part of that verse. It is good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. The word statutes means the word of God. It's a synonym for the word of God. How many of you have, under, have come to the realization that as born-again believers, sometimes our greatest period of spiritual growth occurs when we're going through something? And we have nobody to turn to but God and His Word. And we grow spiritually. And we get right with God and we're refreshed and renewed. The question that we need to ask ourselves today is how did the psalmist appropriate the power of God's word to face his challenges? Well, we see right here he delighted in the word of God. Do you delight in the word of God? Do you? I mean, do you carve out time in your day where you read the Bible and you pray do you spend any time memorizing Scripture? Meditating on the Word of God? Hey, there are many nights I go to bed, especially on Saturday night, and I'm meditating on next, the next day's text. And I'm just rehearsing it in my mind over and over again. You know, the strangest thing has happened. 
I have awakened in the middle of the night or early the next morning, and I've been I've asked the Holy Spirit, Lord, just saturate me with the text. Help me, help me to just think about it in my subconscious all night. And I literally, I have awakened the next morning with a key thought that I needed to put into the sermon. Now, how do you explain that? It's supernatural. I'm telling you, the Word of God is powerful. It's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart the writer of Hebrews would write. It's powerful. He delighted in the Word of God. Do you delight in the Word of God? Are you involved in a connect group here at church? We have small groups, connect groups for every age group. And if you're not in part of a, a connect group, I want to encourage you to be a part of a connect group and get together with a, a group of people in a room and study the Bible and talk about it and ask questions and pray for each other and minister to each other. Do you love to hear God's Word preached and taught in a worship service? I hope and pray that you do. You say, well, you would say that because you're a pastor. Yeah, let me tell you, when I was coaching, when I was coaching, Darlene can tell you this, I love to go to church. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, because I love the Word of God. I hope and pray you love the Word of God. In Psalm 131, excuse me, Psalm 119, 93, he went on to say, I will never forget your precepts. Precepts is a synonym for the Word of God. I will never forget your word, for by them you have revived me. God used his word in a powerful way to help the psalmist as he went through a period of affliction. In James chapter 1, verse 25, James wrote, but, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, now the perfect law is a, a synonym for the Word of God, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. Listen, listen to what the Bible said. The Bible said, this man will be blessed in what he does. How many of you would love for God to bless you? Well, not many. <laughs> I tell you, nothing is better than a blessing from God, right? And if we want a blessing from God, maybe we need to pay attention to what the Word of God is saying, and maybe we need to devote ourselves to an intense study of the Word of God, reading the Word of God, putting the Word of God in our minds and hearts, and allowing the Word of God to shape our very lives. I'll tell you, He'll bless you if you love and delight in the Word of God. Stand firm on the Word of God in every season of your life. So how do you appropriate God's power when the heat is on? You delight in God's word and you remember his precepts. 
Reason number one, that we should stand firm on the Word of God in every season of our life. God's Word is permanent. Say that with me. God's Word is permanent. Say it. Do you believe that? Do you honestly and truthfully believe that? Second reason, say this with me. God's Word is powerful. Say it again. It's powerful, folks. Here's a third reason. You should stand firm on the Word of God. In every season of your life, God's Word is protective. It's protective. Look at verse 94. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The psalmist was facing affliction. He needed protection, and he found that protection in a relationship with the Word of God and the God of the Word. Now, understand this. You can't say you love the Bible and you don't love God. Do you hear me? You can't do that. See, you can't say, well, well I, I, I'm a student of the Word. And, and while at the same time you don't love God and seek to obey Him. There's a country saying for that, that dog won't hunt. It just won't hunt. It's not true. The psalmist said, I am yours. That's relationship. That's a devotion to God. I am yours. Save me. And he's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about save me from this affliction. See, some of you right here today are going through all kinds of affliction. And it's painful and it's hurtful. And, and you wonder if you're ever going to see the light of day again. I, I'll tell you, my friend, you don't have to pray a long, verbose prayer. You can just simply say this, Lord, save me. Three words. Lord, save me. Hey, that's what Peter did when he was drowning, right? Remember, Peter asked Jesus if he could get out of the boat and walk to Jesus. And, and Jesus allowed him to do it. And, and Peter is the only person other than the Lord Jesus Christ who's ever walked on water. Bear Bryant didn't walk on water, no matter what you Alabama folks say. He didn't, I promise you. But you know, Peter got out there uh, uh, to Jesus, and, and he began to look around at the, at the waves, and he felt the wind blowing in his face, and he got scared. And what did he do? He began to sink. Now, I'm going to tell you, when you're sinking in the Sea of Galilee, you don't have time to pray a, a long prayer. G G Peter said, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached down and picked him up and walked him back to the boat. He saved him from affliction. And I promise you, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will deliver you from your affliction. The psalmist said, I'm yours, save me. Look at this last part. For I have sought your precepts. He's seeking the word of God. He's seeking the word of God. 
Look at verse 95. The wicked wait for me to destroy me. I shall diligently consider your testimony. So he said, look, I, 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 am, I am seeking, I am seeking your precepts. I'm seeking your word, and I, I diligently consider your testimony. The word testimonies here is another synonym for the word of God. A vicious attack was planned on the life of this man, this godly man. How did he have the, the confidence to face this? Well, he considered the testimonies of God's word. I'm, I'm just wondering, when the psalmist was facing this vicious attack because of his strong stand on the Word of God and desire to glorify the God of heaven, I, I wonder, did he think about some of the characters in the Bible? Did he think about Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers? And when his brothers came to get some food to save their families, here's what Joseph said to them. And I'm wondering if the psalmist didn't think about this. Now, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7 of Genesis 45, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And I'm just wondering, did the psalmist think of the great testimony of jo Joseph lodged into the Word of God? Maybe he considered Moses or Joshua or Samuel or Abraham, but he was encouraged by the protection God provided for those who believed in him and obeyed him, and he discovered about them, and he read about them in the Word of God. I tell you, the Word of God is protective. We must seek God's Word and consider God's Word when affliction raises its ugly head in our lives. And this will build our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, the Bible says. The more you fill yourself with Scripture, the stronger your faith will become and the more you will be able to handle any affliction that the Lord allows in your life. God's Word is permanent. God's Word is powerful. God's Word is protective. And here's the fourth compelling reason for you to stand firm on the Word of God in every season of your life. Here it is, number four, God's Word is perfect. It's perfect. In verse 96, the final verse, the eighth verse in this stanza, the psalmist writes, I have seen a limit to all perfection. Your commandment is exceedingly broad. Remember, the word commandment is a synonym for the Word of God, the Bible. So the psalmist surveyed the excellencies of the world around him, the beauty of delicate flowers, the strutting of majestic animals, the birth of babies, the love of husbands and wives. And he noticed that these things have limitations 
And those limitations lead to disappointment because the great hippopotamus that struts around will one day die. The love of a husband and wife, they can be married for 65 years. But one day one of them is going to stand before the grave of their loved one. The beautiful flower will one day dry up and die and fall to the ground and disintegrate. Everything around us is in the process of decaying. Everything. It's not perfect. Nothing in this world is perfect except the word of a living God. It is perfect. I love what the psalmist said here. Look at it. I've seen a limit to all perfection. Your commandment, remember, let me just add that your word is exceedingly broad. Now, we live in a world that says the Bible is narrow. We live in a world that says the Bible is intolerant. We live in a world that says we don't want a part of that Bible. We need to update the Bible. We need to get it culturally relevant to our, to our surroundings here in, in America today. I'll tell you, friend, the Bible says that the Word of God is broad. It's broad. It has no limitations whatsoever. It is totally sufficient for every challenge we will ever face in our lives. Only God's Word can give comfort to a spouse who is standing before a freshly dug grave. Only God's Word can give hope to the parents of a child who has chosen to live in rebellion. Only God's Word can give peace to one who is battling a chronic disease. Only God's Word can give guidance to a young person who is seeking God's will concerning a mate. Only God's Word can give endurance to a spouse who is seeking to hold their marriage together. Only God's Word can give joy to a person who is battling cancer. Don't tell me that the Word of God is narrow. It's broad. There are no limitations to the Word of God because it is absolutely perfect. So my challenge to you today is a simple one. Stand firm on the Word of God in every season of your life. I'm 68 years old. I'm in the last leg of my journey, the last season. I don't know how long I'll live, but I can tell you this. You mark it down. I'm going to stand on the Word of God. I'm going to read the Word of God. I'm going to study the Word of God. I'm going to seek the best I can to obey the Word of God. I'm, I, I want the Word of God to absolutely saturate every part of my life. Why would I do that? Why, why, why put all of, your, all of your chips on one thing here, the Word of God? Why? Because God's Word is permanent. 
permanent. God's word is powerful. God's word is protective. Man, it protects me like nothing else. And God's word is perfect. In a world of imperfection, I can tell you on the authority of God's word that his word is perfect. So let me ask you, what would your life be like if you didn't have a Bible? What would it be like? Would it make any difference? If you were a believer, it would. It really would. I, I can tell you this. If you didn't have a Bible, it would make affliction unbearable. I'm telling you, I, I couldn't have made it through Darlene's sickness if I hadn't had the Word of God. I'm telling you, I dove headfirst into the Word of God every day. I needed it. And I'm telling you, it helped me through that affliction. I want to encourage every believer in this room to make up your mind right here today to drive down a stake and say, I, I don't care what Washington says. I don't care what Harvard says. I don't care what Oxford, England says. I don't care what famous actors say. I don't care what famous athletes say. I'm going to stand on the Word of God. I'm going to stand firm on the Word of God in every season of my life. If it's a short season or if it's a long season or a medium season, I'm standing firm on the Word of God. So in, in just a moment, we're going to have a time for you to respond. And I'm going to invite you to come to this altar and just bow your knee before the author of the Bible. The author of the Bible, it's not Peter, not James and John. The author of the Bible, God. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, prepared for every good work. Oh, listen, come to this altar. Bow your knee before the author of this great book and say, Lord, help me to love your word, to delight in your word, to seek your word, to make it a priority in my life. If you're going through affliction, come in. I'd come and I'd bow before my Lord and, and I'd ask him to give me a specific word that would encourage me today in my affliction. And then, if you're here today and you're not a believer, I invite you to believe in Jesus today. You know, there's one thing about every book Go to a bookstore. 
any book. Every book has a hero. Every book's got a hero and a villain. And do you know who the hero of this book is? It's not Abraham. It's not Peter, James, or John. The hero of this book is Jesus. And from Genesis to Revelation, this book tells a story of a God who loved people who didn't deserve to be loved. A God who was willing to send his only begotten son to down the cross to save them from their sin and to raise him from the dead so that they get the gift of eternal life and go to heaven when they die and have an eternal inheritance with him in the glory of heaven. That's what this book is about. It would be a shame if you were to miss that vital, vital part of this book. So I'm inviting you today to believe in Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask our, our worship team and our staff to come. Our, our staff is going to be down here. And you say, well, pastor, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, the reason we ask our staff to come is so that they can help answer that for you. So I'm going to invite, we're not going to embarrass you if you come. I'm going to invite you to come to one of our staff members and just tell them, I want to believe in Jesus, okay? You come. And then if you feel led to come to this altar and to drive that stake down as a believer and say, I'm going to stand on the Word of God, Stand firm on the Word of God. You come. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to respond in obedience to your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. You come as God leads you.